0: waxing down our surfboards and loading up our tracks. Tell the teacher we're shooting. We're never coming back. Clearance, Florence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? You ever seen a grown man naked?
1: It's an entirely different kind of flying altogether. It's It's an entirely entirely different kind
0: of flying. flying. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Nice, Beaver.
2: Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Directors Club podcast. I am Jim Laskowski. Today, I have a pair, a couplet, a twain, a twosome a duo of delightful podcasters on hand to deconstruct the art of parody as we tackle the work of Zucker, Abrams. Zucker, I could not be more excited to welcome to the show returning guests, Sean Dwyer. Hello, Sean.
0: Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, it's an honor. And of course, the king of comedy himself, (laughs) Frank Knesich.
1: Hey, what's going on, Jim? Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, it's great to have you guys both on once again. Sean, you were on way back when for the Ridley Scott episode, which was yes. a lot of fun, um, especially bringing up Blade Runner. And I remember vividly when somebody wrote into your guys' show complaining about our Blade Runner review. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yep. oh, that's very nice of them to write to Film Junk and uh, you know, give my show a little plug. by saying how much they didn't like it
0: (laughs) i love those junkers
2: yeah absolutely and i happen to be one of them oh frank it's great to have you back on as well you were on for the alexander Payne episode yeah it Um, seems
1: like so long ago
2: oh right it's crazy when i look back and look at older episodes and go wow that's either like it was yesterday or nine years ago
1: yeah i remember exactly where i was sitting what i was wearing it was a wonderful evening.
2: Yeah, I think I was drinking Schlitz <laughs> in Grand Rapids, Michigan at the time. Nice. Yeah, and uh, my kitty kept coming into the closet where I was recording. <laughs> but Sean, did they ever come up with a nickname for you?
0: Uh, there's a few. Marky to mindfuck is one. <laughs> uh, what else is there? Earl of editorializing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Not none, none
1: of nothing stuck yet. Like. Nothing solid. Yeah.
2: So I know both of you are huge fans of this team of comedy filmmakers. um, And much like when I talked about David Wayne with Goon, a.k.a. Corey Pierce, um, I also wanted to include some other points of discussion that we'll get into later in the show, of course. Since whenever you're talking about comedy... um, I don't necessarily want it to be a series of statements from everybody simply going, well, I found this scene to be funny, but this other scene, not so much. And, you know, talking about comedy can be tricky to where we all come at it with different senses of humor, obviously.
1: Well, we we Um, can point directly to Nothing But Trouble, which which I give a five star, (laughs) uh, probably the funniest movie I've ever seen. And Jim gives, I think, a begrudging half star on Letterboxd. (laughs)
2: Of course, Frank is also known as the Letterbox Police, and uh, <laughs> oh, that, he checks in on your star ratings. Not policing anything, just observing, Observe and report, observe and report. Oh, nice, nice <laughs> reference there. <laughs>
0: but uh, yeah. it is it is an interesting example because, uh, as Frank has stated before, we I don't know if Dan Aykroyd has really said recently how he feels about it, but we get the impression he's not he's kind of ashamed, he's not really proud of it, and I would make that comparison with top secret one exactly. of the films we're gonna be talking about yeah with, and uh, the I, I don't want to spoil
1: this already but there's a direct nothing but trouble and top secret connection oh really i think i know what that could be what does it have to do with the producer perhaps no rob that is another connection that robert k weiss produced nothing but trouble and produced several of these movies but like it's specific and i mean i'll, I'll hmm. talk about it more i'll just tease it for now but when we get a bit more into spoof and parody, I'll, I'll bring it up there as uh, as how these the humor in these movies can work on multiple levels.
2: Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, but the reason why I think it's just as important to discuss comedy on this podcast in particular, because, I mean, a lot of people... We'll come to expect an episode on, you know, Goddard or Fellini. And, you know, those episodes will definitely come in the future. But it's... I really do think comedy should be taken every bit as seriously as a drama or a horror film. Because making somebody laugh is not an easy task. And it's often under-recognized when it comes to awards and award shows. So, I mean... I can remember being pleasantly surprised when Kevin Klein actually won Best Supporting Actor for Fish Called Wanda, but it's it's pretty slim pickings when it comes to recognition of comedy as an art form uh, in terms of award shows and whatnot. Unless maybe you're talking about the Golden Globes, they do recognize it, obviously.
0: Like, yeah, and yeah, but I, the musicals always win all the yeah. awards. That's, <laughs> they share a category, so.
1: Well, and then you have. I know we've had debates on film junk several times about comedy versus horror and just actually how similar they are in terms of getting respect or people being afraid to commit to being a comedy or a horror if they want to have prestige or uh, they're worried about awards and stuff like that they'll never say with this movie is a comedy they'll say oh it's a, it's a drama with some comedy a dramedy it's, <laughs> a, it's a, a thriller a, a scary thriller no one just straight up says Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie but yeah. I think even lately, I know I know you posted Letterbox. Please, I know you posted a list today of <laughs> uh, top comedy since the year 2000, and I would agree with most of those choices. But I do feel like in the last, let's say, 16 years, the comedy scene has been pretty weak in general. Like I think most of the funniest stuff I've seen has been
0: TV. Like there's a lot of misses in theaters for comedy lately. And it's all because Zucker, Abram Zucker are no longer, uh, they're they're not present anymore. They're gone.
2: Well, I've read that David Zucker in particular, he's working on something. I I can't remember off the top of my head what it is, but he is calling it, I believe, a film noir kind of spoof. Which I, yeah, I think that would be interesting too. I mean, I feel like, didn't Steve Martin kind of do that early on? I mean, that was more of like a detective spoof parody, if mm. I recall. It was Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, early on.
0: Right. I mean, Naked Gun kind of sure. does that as sure. well, to an extent. But, it's interesting, because, um, I mean, I was going to mention this in what we watched, although I haven't watched it recently, but um, Angie Tribeca, yeah, that's a TV a good series, has kind of brought back this this form of spoof that we're going to be talking about, and it's it's almost like if, if the ZAZ team got back together and did one of these, I think there could be a revival going on. Yeah, that's you know?
2: definitely true. I feel like Steve Carell, I think, is responsible, uh, along with some other people, of course, for putting that show together. And it's clear that they just, I think they were just as disappointed as I was that Police Squad only lasted six episodes and wanted to, you know, make right, their right. own stamp on, on that sort of style. And that's certainly a show that I feel is very hit and miss. Uh, but we'll get, you know, we can sort of touch mm-hmm. upon their influence too later on. I mean, we, we sort of, you know, talked about the subjectivity of, of humor in general. And I, 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 one example that comes to mind for me, even early on as maybe a 10 year old, I want to say, I thought Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein was almost a perfect example of a parody comedy. But I, yeah, I, I don't know why, because both my dad and I were huge fans of Mel Brooks and this type of humor. But we both were kind of shocked at how f- we didn't find Spaceballs very funny at the time it came out on video.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean Spaceballs comes up frequently among people I talk to as like oh, yes. one of their first movies they remember being hilarious. So
1: And it's weird. When I think of sp- I love Spaceballs. We sure. at work, we quote it almost daily. And I would say that it's not even the references that I find funny in Spaceballs. It's more the original stuff and the like just performances, like Rick Moranis's performance and stuff like that. I don't think it's necessarily a Star Wars gag. I don't laugh at it because it's a Star Wars gag. It's just the humor that they created in a Star Wars like universe that I like.
2: I can see that. I I, I don't know if it was. Ju- I can't remember like like my specific criticisms of it. I actually re- wanted to rewatch it in time for this, but I didn't. Um, I kind of want to go back and just rewatch it just for the heck of it because I just remember it being a lot of testicle jokes <laughs> and you know kind of scatological humor that I don't know. I always found Mel Brooks to be kind of a notch above that a little bit. I mean, obviously, Young Frankenstein is kind of a more mind homage/parody film of the original Frankenstein whereas Blazing Saddles definitely had more uh let's say vulgarity I guess you know
0: mhm you it's know? definitely got the fart jokes
2: exactly yeah <laughs> well i a uh, low low brow i should say yeah
1: i would i would say i was surprised by cuz i mostly watched naked gun movies and airplane when i was younger mm mm-hmm. mhm like and how many sexual like straight up sexual jokes and things there are in these movies rewatching them that i had forgotten about and not really picked up on so Nice Beaver that stuff went over my head as a kid but i yeah. i was really surprised and and one other thing talking about tv and where the zuckers could fit one show that i thought could have use this style of humor more or worked more in the realm of spoof or parody was the Muppets on ABC where they were, they were taking the aesthetic of the office and all these other shows and applying it. But I don't think they went far enough spoofing that genre
0: and
1: and using it as parody. They actually just tried to be one of those shows rather than maybe pointing out the tropes. I, I think they tried a bit, but that's the type of humor I would expect from the Muppets. And I, I think they should have pushed that more and at least maybe tried to uh, carve out a niche as a show like that with the Muppets cast.
2: That's a great point because, I mean, the the original incarnation of the Muppets was very clever and spoofy and... Uh, full of great visual sight gags and puns and a lot of cleverness. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't even catch up with the the recent wave, even though I'm a big fan. Just because I I kept hearing underwhelming reviews of it, so I kind of didn't want to ruin my uh, vision of the Muppets. But I, I I don't know. I like I hear there there were good episodes and bad episodes, but um, yeah, I, I I would imagine that they should tap more into that style. But it's sad to hear that they didn't.
1: Yeah, maybe the later episodes did. I only watched the first few, but uh, yeah, it seems like a nice match.
2: Yeah, well, for sure, you know, and I, I i also value your opinion on modern comedy, Frank, because I know that you go out of your way to see something like Bad Moms in hopes of having a positive experience. <laughs> well,
1: I, I, as I've talked about on Film Junk, i I still have a shred of hope for any comedy, especially when it's poorly reviewed. That. Mm. You know, pe- people just didn't get it. It's working outside the box. And unfortunately, most comedies that are poorly reviewed now are working in the box and working poorly inside the box. And that's usually the case for a negative review. Where in the past, a bad, it was a comedy that people just didn't get or was maybe ahead of its time or pushing boundaries, people would give negative reviews. But there was actually something great there. But that doesn't seem to happen too often these days.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's that's definitely true. I I'm wondering, Sean, too, since I know on Letterboxd you include the naked gun movies as all time favorites. Is that is that accurate or is that more meant to be kind of a joke?
0: <laughs> uh it's kind of a joke. I mean, I, I I gave the uh the first one a four and a half sure. out of five on this recent rewatch. It had been quite a while since I'd seen it in its entirety. But I mean, it is, I, you know, it was kind of a joke, but like as I revisit some of these things and even like ro- watching Angie Tribeca, I realized that I still, th- I admire this kind of humor. I think it's more clever than some people give it credit for. And yeah, th- th- they're hit and miss. All these movies are hit and miss at, at, and they have jokes that don't work, but part of the fun is just what's going to come next. You don't know. It could be hilarious. It could be completely terrible, but then you're on to the next joke and i can think that's what i like about them
1: yeah well i made it my duty to watch all four of sean's top four (laughs) films on letterboxd for this podcast which (laughs) which were the naked gun trilogy and wrongfully accused which that to me is the snarkiest little uh injection into that top four but it's okay sean there is in my opinion uh a masterpiece level scene in wrongfully accused but the rest of the movie's trash interesting
2: yeah, I'm more in the middle on that one. Um, I think what Pat Proft is responsible for Wrongfully Accused and Yes, you know, I believe they they pretty much co wrote a lot of even the earlier police squad episodes or um the second naked gun if I recall. So I mean they they, they obviously all work together as a collaborative team and uh you know, Pat Proft was that's like their solo project <laughs> with wrongfully accused. Mm-hmm, exactly.
1: Yeah. And basketball is David Zucker's solo project,
2: which I didn't get a chance to to revisit, but um, I I certainly remember liking it when I saw it.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing we were just talking about in terms of summer hit and miss the jokes. You also the thing that's great about them is they work within so many different types of humor. Someone who might not like physical humor as much, there will be like deadpan humor as well, uh, sight gags. Just legitimately funny lines, Mm -hmm. wordings, turns of phrase. Like there's so many different types of humor that I mean, I think the tagline or one of the advertising things for naked gun was like, there's no chance you can't laugh at this movie at least once or something to that effect. And I think that's the case. Like there, no matter what your style of humor, I think there is something within it that works in these movies, at least one or two jokes.
2: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, it's also interesting because I even went to see what Siskel Niebert's take was on the original Naked Gun movie, and I think it was Siskel. You have to have the mindset of a six-year-old to enjoy the sophomoric humor, which I don't know how I feel about because I do think that it takes a, a, a level of intelligence to you know actually construct some of these jokes they're not just people running into things for the entire film
1: yeah yeah i almost think someone who might find them extremely funny are comedy writers themselves like like trying to play with tropes or setups and taking them one level further and like a setup that surprises you that you didn't realize was a setup in some of these jokes i mean there's lots of that stuff here
2: Yeah, Lord Lord and Miller in particular, I know that they're huge fans, you know, you can even just watch the Lego movie to sort of get a sense of the Zucker Brothers' influence later on.
0: Yeah, that's true. I I was just going to say, like, puns in general. Like, there's puns in these movies. It's definitely a key component of them. And that's always... Puns are always slammed, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I, I, I love puns. I love just throwing them out there. Like, we... I we do a lot of puns on film junk just to make our amuse ourselves. But there are people out there that you throw out a pun even kind of ironically and they're like, Ugh. Yep. Ugh, why oh that wasn't funny. And it's like what? Like just lighten up, man. Like it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Where's you know? your
2: sense of humor? I mean I I understand that a hundred percent. I'm I'm fairly convinced that the reason my co host Patrick Left the show was because of my uh, it, it was like Tourette's With me and puns <laughs> I, 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 would, I would Often just spit them out um, Much to his chagrin and get a lot of Eye roll I could actually hear Listeners eyes rolling When I would do a pun But uh, hey I make I ch- I, Sometimes you gotta amuse yourself you know That's what Jay does a lot too Definitely.
1: <laughs> Just be you oh, yeah. just be you Jimmy So there isn't that rush um, like when you see a Sam Raimi movie and you see the camera bust through a bust through a door, you know it's not a CGI door. You know it's an actual door that they bust through.
2: And when you see Getty Lee, you also get a rush. I was reading up a little bit on spoofs and how they flourished during the 1920s, because you know a lot of people even consider you know comedy masters like Buster Keaton. Uh, to sort of tweak Hollywood, but when I think of someone like Charlie Chaplin, I think of him more as a satirist with something like the great dictator um, and less of less of you know like imitating a certain style, but just doing political commentary against satire with with his portrayal of Hitler and like the great dictator. but there are some people who consider you know spoofs to have originated then um And then they reappeared, obviously, with uh, Mel Brooks, Woody Allen, and then Zucker Abrams Zucker. So, you know, it's interesting to think of how the idea of spoof in its inception started out in the silent film era. And then there was a little bit of a down period. And then it came back again in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Um, And then maybe a little bit of a down period again. um, And then, you know, maybe... The scary movies were also a reason that (laughs)
1: this reignited. And then they've kind of reignited since Scary Movie. I know you had. Which did you watch Superhero Movie? Oh, God. Yes. Unfortunately, I I did. I have not watched those, but then there's those, the epic movies, all these terrible spoofs that are just like operate. That's the difference. You can tell the difference just seeing the trailers for those, the level that they're operating at gag wise. Like, there's no layers at all. It is just a direct reference or uh, copying. There, there's no buildup or setup of jokes. It's just the most base level references and comedy you could possibly do.
2: Yeah. And e- even though I would say that I, I don't have a good memory of the first couple scary movies, but I did go back and watch scary movie three since simply because I knew David Zucker Directed it and it it had some some big laughs in it. Definitely, you know, definitely not consistent. But the thing that stood out to me was what you mentioned with just throwing in a pop culture reference just for the reference. Um, And that would be Michael Jackson, you know, showing up in a kid's bedroom in the middle of the night which just rubs me the wrong way in general. I just, I mean, yeah. I know anything is, is ripe for humor, but I, I just feel like just throwing him in, having him moonwalk for a gag does not work
1: at all. It has to be Leslie Nielsen moonwalking for it to be a gag. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. I, had, I wish I could have gone back and watched Repossessed because that was oh, one when yes. I, I, I saw it as a kid. I really liked and I wonder how that holds up.
1: I watched it last year or the year before I think and I mean it's pure nostalgia it's 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 really not that funny at all but I loved repossessed and we would watch it at like sleepovers and stuff all the time it had, mm. n- it had nudity and it was weird I don't know it's not very funny though not at all
2: <laughs> Yeah I th- I didn't think so. I didn't think it was it would hold up but I just I don't even know who did that film it seems like th- it was an outlier in terms of that uh the parody genre at the time but uh
0: but it's weird how leslie nielsen kind of took off and became the front man for all these yeah. and the zucker abram zucker team kind of broke apart and then nobody cared if they were involved anymore it's just if leslie nielsen was in it then hey it's a legit spoof we gotta go see this yeah we should probably of run course. down
1: some of these leslie nielsen spoofs I sure think, go like. ahead <laughs> uh in this prime era after the naked gun so there was dracula dead and loving it mel mel brooks uh,
2: speaking of mel brooks yeah
1: spy hard uh mr magoo kind of i don't mm, know i never saw that i saw spy hard in theaters i remember that uh 2001 a space travesty oh
2: I wow I, mean.
1: I don't remember that at all <laughs>
2: was that straight to video
1: <laughs> I, I would not be surprised. No. He plays R- Richard Dick Dix. <laughs> <Just, laughs> uh, <laughs> Men with Brooms, which we all fondly remember. I know Sean does. Uh, Scary Movie 4, Superhero Movie, and Stan Helsing. I mean, it just... Ooh. That's a more recent one. But <laughs> I can't help. I, lo- I clicked on it, and it's Leslie Nielsen in this, like, wearing... He's dressed up as a girl, and it looks absolutely <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm sure it's terrible, but he can get a he can get a laugh like no other. I would say. Frank, did you ever see Mafia, Jane Austen's Mafia? Yes, Jane Austen's uh,
0: Mafia. That's what it was.
1: I have the poster, and I saw it in theaters. I do remember the one. That's one not scene- Leslie Nielsen. No, but it, I think it is. Is it Abrams that did? Yeah, that one? I think I one think so. Yeah. yeah, and Lloyd yeah.
2: Bridges is in it.
1: Yeah, and one of them worked. Which, if it's Lloyd Bridges, I'm guessing it's Abrams because he worked with him on Yeah Hot Shots, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Mafia. The only scene I remember really laughing at was yeah, it is Abrams. The the casino. They go into a casino, and they're I think they're parodying a Casino, and it's like all these ridiculous games like that they're betting on. (laughs) And I think one of them was war like, and now war is actually a casino game.
2: Oh my (laughs) God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You just try, you just try to beat the dealer's high card. And, uh, I mean, so the world has devolved into parody. So it's great
0: social commentary there too, from Jane Austen's mafia.
2: Yeah. They're they're way ahead of their time.
0: I only bring that one up because I remember seeing that one in the theater and, it was a basically empty theater didn't laugh once and i just remember thinking okay this is pretty much dead like this the spoof genre is officially dead at this yeah. point
2: well even david zucker himself i i forgot what article it was he actually just feels that this type of comedy is not fresh anymore you know i feel like we live in a time right now where obviously politically speaking you know you look at a show like veep in terms of political satire and that working so effectively um but you know at the same time we do have angie tribeca that's kind of picking up where naked gun left off so i mean it's it's definitely possible to continue on in their tradition but it doesn't feel as fresh as it did way back when they started so we can sort of go to the beginning here Abram Zucker. Yeah. These three directors gonna make you laugh. Yeah. I think they're fun, you know that's a fact. Yeah. Even Weird Al thinks they are legends. Yeah. yeah. Leon's getting larger. Make a gun. Yes, they did airplane and then topsy crud. Uh-huh. Leslie Nielsen is hilarious uh-huh comedy genius always inventive. the tower rapunzel rapunzel Don't call me shirley sucker Abrams. sucker Suck nice beaver sucker abram sucker funny word play sucker Abrams. sucker visual sucker, abram, sucker. classic clips sucker abram sucker. come laugh at this sucker yeah. abram so it looks like a big tylenol um they started out as basically three buddies who uh just had a theater company in the back of a bookstore. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it was called the Kentucky Fried Theater. And so John Landis just happens to be in town. He's a Chicago boy, so he was just hanging out in Milwaukee and saw their show and pretty much went up to them right afterwards and said, hey, you guys need to adapt these sketches into some kind of movie because it's freaking hilarious. And... Uh, they had no idea what to do, so they asked, basically asked Landis, can you help us out with that, show us how to write a script, show us how to put a scene together, um, and basically adapt their brand of humor into what eventually became...
0: The Kentucky Fried Movie. The Kentucky Fried Movie heralds the return to traditional values.
2: I'm not wearing any pants. Film
0: at 11. It is a film of heartfelt passion, a great love story.
2: Oh, take me to the drive and prove you love me. Technically their first um, successful endeavor, you would say. Which, again, it's very hit and miss. Um, I remember seeing that at a very young age and actually preferring a variant on Kentucky Fried Movie, uh, something called Amazon Women on the Moon. Which I don't think the Zucker Abrams Zucker team had anything to do with at all. I just happened to, at the I think time. think
0: Landis was involved, though, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, yeah, Landis and Dante, Joe Dante. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm assuming a lot of other um, writers and po- possibly Robert K. Weiss again. But uh, yeah, I just, I remember finding Amazon Women on the Moon to be a little bit funnier, but at the same time, there's. No denying in Kentucky Fried movie, you see that, uh, the Kung Fu parody, and that's exactly what eventually became their brand of humor, really.
0: Yeah, I just watched this for the first time this week and, uh, was, I mean, a little disappointed, I guess. I didn't find it that funny. It definitely yeah. is dated. Um, for me, it's just more interesting to see where they started. Um, they kind of remind me a little bit of UHF in the sense that it almost feels like you're supposed to be sort of channel surfing and you get a mm-hmm. bunch of different things. Although I guess it's more structured, like you're seeing trailers and then you get a feature presentation, which I found strange that the, the actual Kung Fu movie is as long as it is. Yeah. Right. I kind thought of, so too. Uh, dragged a bit and it, did, it It really, it kind of just played things straight in a lot of ways, but there were some moments in there that were funny. Um, the interview where the boom mic is like hitting the guy in the head and just doing moving around and doing crazy things. Like, that's an example of them taking something, and you think, okay, here's a laugh that was good once, and now you're gonna run into the ground. But then they keep like just adding things that are so crazy that it becomes funny again, right? And so, yeah, I appreciated that. Yeah, and I think what else was funny in that movie. I didn't get to watch it, unfortunately.
2: Well, the the thing I notice about it in particular is the fact that I I can always tell when John Landis is behind something, because, man, does he love boobs. I I mean, he (laughs) relishes them at times. I mean, there's that, I believe it's at the end with the porno, like the interactive porno kind of a thing going on. Right, that, i seen that very, very young age uh made me feel weird um and even even in an amazon <laughs> women on the moon th- there's like a, a sketch of a naked woman walking around a str- uh like a you know just a, a mall full of people and uh it's funny because, like, even as a kid, I went, you know what? I bet John Landis directed that particular sketch, and I had to see the credits to confirm, and I was right. It just seems like he loves showing boobs in his movies. But um, I, yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's it's very hit and miss Kentucky Fried movie. Um,
0: it's. I mean, there's some some stuff in it that it almost feels like a joke a kid in elementary school would make with their first attempt yeah. to. Make a movie or something like it's that bad, but uh, then some of it is actually really funny, so
2: yeah. And uh, you know, after the success of that, because you know, they did they were able to make a little bit of money through the success of Kentucky Fried Movie, um, you know, they basically had a big break and they gained credibility and decided to venture out to come up with something entirely their own. So in 1980, Airplane came out and was a huge success. Um,
0: or is it entirely their own?
2: Um, that's true. Cause <laughs> you uh, certainly look at the source of inspiration for airplane. I mean, the way they sort of decided to even come up with this concept was they were watching a movie late at night, probably stoned And uh, it happened to be Zero Hour. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) they basically decided to imitate that movie um, to the point where, you know, even in that film, they say the line, surely you can't be serious. But then you don't get the pun that or, you know, the the wordplay that comes after that in in, an airplane. So it's just interesting to see. Which is why I sent you guys that link to sort of go back and see how much they quote, borrowed for their mad magazine kind of approach to humor for airplane what were your what was your first experience, and how did you feel about it on a rewatch
1: well i I don't think I've seen it that many times before. I think I watched it a few times as a as a kid or a teenager, and I always liked it I think just as a a base love of comedy that there was stuff I laughed at. I don't, I I didn't have too much affection, but this is the first time I've watched it in a long time. And I was surprised at how much it held up for me, actually, even thinking right out of the gate, the, the, the announcers fighting and turning announcements into a argument over abortion. Like, (laughs) I mean, that made me laugh. And I think there's uh, a lot of really good performances and there was a lot, like, the stuff with the... I totally, I don't know how I did, because i had seen it on so many uh, re-released DVD covers, had forgotten the bit about autopilot and oh yeah, uh, yeah. all that stuff, which I, which I actually think, like, it honestly, I, don't, I think it's pretty good still. It's not that bad. And uh, I just, I like to I pick the wrong week to quit. I, I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. That still works for me. I, I don't... I don't know. I still laughed a lot and I was surprised. And in all honesty, compared to more recent uh, parody or spoof movies, I was surprised that like, I didn't feel like it was going for humor constantly either. And I think top secret is an example of this too, where they like, they obviously have jokes, but it's not a, like a, an onslaught to a level where it's annoying. I think, yeah, there's some downtime. Yeah, in between. And there is like some just basic buildup of script. And maybe for them, an inside joke is they're literally copying the movie. But, I mean, you get the scene that's straight out of Zero Hour where, not that I've seen Zero Hour, I just saw the clip you sent. And where he's asking the kid if he's ever been in a cockpit. And now this one almost turns into some weird uh, I know, it's pedophile weird. jokes going on with the guy being cr- <laughs> I, mean, I love that stuff <laughs> so uh i don't know i just I, there is stuff that's probably pushing it uh, as to what except is acceptable now but i almost find that refreshing with the movie and i don't think it goes too far that it's uh at least for me it's not offensive
2: yeah
0: i would agree with that
2: for sure um okay sean what are your thoughts on this comedy classic
0: uh, I like it. I know that it's kind of held up as the best of the Zucker Abrams Zucker films, you know, and it's one that, I mean, it says right on the the Blu-ray that I have that, you know, one of the funniest films of all time. I think it won some poll or something, and uh, I don't remember if there was like a study. I feel like there was a study done where they actually yeah, looked at the number of laughs or something weird like that where it came out on top. So it has like these, you know, it has this level of prestige, and I think it is very good. I, I just, it's not my favorite of their films. It's not the first one I saw either, um, but rewatching it, there's still some great stuff. For me, the stuff that stands out is all the wordplay. Um, you know, obviously, you've got just, you know, the uh, don't call me Shirley, it's the vector, Victor, vector, Victor, clearance, clearance. That's great. Um, the, uh, you know. Uh, what is it? Where he says it's a different kind of flying altogether, and then they say it, at, you know, in unison, um, things like that. I still think are very clever and funny, and sure, I'm well, probably a lot of people would watch it now and just roll their eyes at it. But um, it is interesting thinking about you know as Frank was kind of refer- referring to the downtime in some of their movies. Like s- some people do credit them as being good at working within the genres they're parodying to the point where when there's not jokes, you are still kind of invested in the film and the story and the characters. And I don't, I don't know if I totally buy that, but I like there is, I I will say at least I'm not bored when there's no jokes. Like there's still like with airplane, I think a big part of it is just playing it straight. Right. Like, yeah. uh, Like they are parodying the, the disaster films and the airport movies But, like, I think knowing that some of the stuff comes from Zero Hour actually kind of makes it funnier that they just literally take the lines and throw them back at you and they play as funny in in this context. Um,
1: So, and it's almost, it almost plays as a super inside joke for someone who's seen Zero Hour. Right, exactly.
2: Yeah, and I know that, you know, a huge reason why this movie initially, a lot of people were skeptical about it was because of the casting. I know the studio initially wanted comedians, quote-unquote, um, or funny people at the time, like they wanted to cast Dom DeLuise, <laughs> um in here, as opposed to guys like Leslie Nielsen, who was very obscure at the time, uh, Peter Graves and Robert Stack, uh, Lloyd Bridges. They were all known as dramatic, serious actors. So they all came on board to this and apparently everybody except Lloyd Bridges was, was in on the, you know, joke. Really. It was like Lloyd Bridges was really trying to take his character seriously for some reason. I mean, but
1: yeah, that's weird to me. Cause his, his performance almost seems the most comedic. Like he's doing pratfalls. Yeah, and, I know that like, and his facial expressions seem the most comedic out of anybody to me. Yeah. The I think,
2: well, I think as a, Went along, especially by the time he's sniffing glue. I I, w- I would hope that he <laughs> he's in on the joke by then. But I think like early on when he's like trying to give orders to everybody, it, like he just I don't know. I heard that from from an interview from from I think it was uh, David Zucker that he was a little bit slower than everybody else to just dis- you know figure out what they were going for in terms of uh of a spoof. Whereas Leslie Nielsen was 100% on board and just knew exactly how that worked. And this is something I was going to bring up also later on. There's a lack of self-awareness, or at least awareness of a joke, in Leslie Nielsen's performances here, and you know even in the first mm-hmm. Naked Gun. But there's a key moment in the second Naked Gun movie where I feel like it's sort of the turning point of Leslie Nielsen as, you know, self-aware, almost a caricature, goofball character. Where it's the moment where he's getting slapped by um, Priscilla Presley in the restaurant, and there's three hands all of a sudden. So he, you know, he obviously he gets slapped in the face, but he looks goofy-eyed and looks down like, where did that third hand come from? And to me, like, that almost is like a turning point to where it's N- Leslie Nielsen constantly mugging at the camera, very aware of the joke, mm-hmm. as opposed to everything before that, really. He pretty much played it straight, especially here in Airplane. So That's a
1: good specific reference of how he, you would play that scene differently if you were playing it straight. And I, really, I, I think that's true. Like, by the time you get to Naked Gun 33 and a Third and Wrongfully Accused, He is completely in on the goof. He's not playing it like a detective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll get there with Naked Gun, but I think he is amazing in this and Naked Gun. Like, legitimately hilarious. How
2: soon can you land? I can't tell. You can tell me I'm a doctor. No, I mean, I'm just not sure. Or can't you take a guess? Well, not for another two hours. You can't take a guess for another two hours?
1: I, I don't know. Airplane there's like even more stuff pushing c- current boundaries today, like, or faux pas. I think, I mean, there's the, the jive translation scene, which <laughs> I think some people might be offended sure. by. Yep.
0: <laughs> I, I, uh, just hang loose blood. She's going to catch up on a rebound on the side. What it is big
1: mama. My mama, mama, raised no dummies. I duck a rap.
0: Got me some slack, Jack. It's, it's crazy. Crazy. Is the
1: one where they, they shake the woman and slap her. And, <laughs> They're just lying, <laughs> lining up to get those. at her, yeah. and Sean he cannot like that one yeah, bit. I
0: was deeply offended.
2: I um I also heard regarding that scene that it was supposed to end with Leslie Nielsen slapping her twice. Um, well, actually, that was improv. That was an improvised moment. He was only supposed to slap her once, but it was his idea to slap her twice. And then Leslie Nielsen went to you know the 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 Zaz team and said, "Wouldn't it be funny if you uh, told the prop guy to get a whole bunch of different props and just had a line of people waiting to slap her or do other terrible things to her?" So it was originally a, a gag that ended with him, but then he came up with an extra idea right on the spot. So that's an example hmm. of um, the rare moment that they would improvise. They mostly stuck mm. to script. It wasn't, it's not like, a, you know, it's not like Judd Apatow or Adam McKay world here at all. They really like to s- stick to script and because like, they felt the joke was on the page and it was going to work with these type of actors delivering straight, which obviously
0: Yeah. I read some stuff like some negative stuff that people had written. I, don't, I guess there were probably more recent pieces about this but um, like about Zucker, Abram Zucker. And there's this idea that, um, you know, as you mentioned that they're not casting funny people, they're casting actors that are dramatic actors and they want them to play it straight. And it's almost like an ego thing with them that they want themselves to be responsible for making it funny, not the actors. But I don't know if I totally buy that. I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of the dramatic actors that they cast... Like, you can see that they're enjoying it, that the, it's like they don't get a chance to do this kind of thing very often, and they're they're loving it, you know? And uh, I, I think that's why you get some great performances out of these people. Like, I mean, Omar Sharif in uh, Top Secret is, is a, a great example of this, like, where I think some people feel like they're taking advantage of a great actor because, you know, they're putting him th- through the ringer, but, like, I feel like he is game for it, you know, and, uh, the movie's better for it. So. Well, t- going hand in hand with the playing it straight with the
1: actors, another big aspect for that for me is the score. Like the, the Elmer Bernstein score is the type of score you would expect in this type of movie. And it, it again adds to the whole playing it straight element and not pointing out that everything is a joke. These jokes are happening within the context of, this type of movie and it just, it works perfectly.
2: Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And, you know, I kind of, I was thinking back to like, just where my sense of humor derives from. And and I I definitely think it came from the, you know, the early version of the Muppets, weird Al, Steve Martin, Bill Murray. But, you know, here I I find pretty much everything across the board funny in the, the Zucker, Abram Zucker, canon for the especially the first two films here. I I I don't know, maybe it's in my blood to to, to appreciate absurdist humor and puns and kind of like over the top comedy. Um I knew it's funny because when I was watching the superhero movie, I knew right away I wasn't going to like it because the humor was very mean-spirited and it was like You know, people just running into things or school buses and then, you know, almost being ridiculed. And I don't get that impression, you know, even if some of the, you know, humor here like is questionable and creepy and certainly would not fly today. It doesn't feel mean spirited. It feels silly, certainly, but it doesn't feel like it's coming from a from a place where, you know, these aren't bullies making these kinds of jokes.
1: Yeah, I f- and then the, the the one that I think in the stuff I read online seems to get called out the most nowadays is the character of Johnny. Oh uh, yes, and like flamboyant saying that that the joke is that he's gay, and I, I really don't feel like it is at all. I feel like that's kind of he's he's saying such non sequitur type things and one offs like that's kind of the joke, and his that flamboyant character is uh, more of a like polar opposite to the way that the actors are playing it straight in the other scenes that like lets you into his humor immediately and what type of stuff he's bringing to the table like he he's almost playing in a different genre on his own with that character and it's just completely completely absurd things and i I think you need that like contra contrasting personality (laughs) to everyone else for that humor to work
0: yeah, that character. I totally forgot about that character, and uh, I was like, I wouldn't say I was dying of laughter, but I was enjoying some of the ridiculous stuff with him. So I, yeah, I, I could see how people might interpret it one way, but I feel like it's in a enough of a gray area that it's not. Uh, I, I don't know. Didn't didn't offend me deeply,
1: and I think uh-huh. it's the viewer that's projecting that stuff because there's there's no jokes in the context of him being gay in the movie uh i don't think that i can remember it's more like like as a kid i don't think i had any idea that that's what was going on with that character at all so like now i i might project that idea uh but i i still don't think it's it's necessary for the actual content of his jokes like there's no joke about that fact that i can remember
2: no, I didn't think so either. And, you know, like I, like I mentioned in a lot of the more recent parody films, there's like a barrage of um, politically incorrect gay jokes or jokes that make fun of those who are overweight. Um, and I, I, I kind of see like even just the way Johnny in Airplane says, Leon is getting larger. And the delivery of that is more silly. And wacky rather than like, Oh, let's make fun of somebody. Like I mentioned with like a bully would do in high school or something. I I just don't get that impression from this early on, you know, this representation of comedy. Um, You know, certainly there are, you know, things like just what is the deal with uh, the pilot and that kid that is kind of uncomfortably weird that I don't, I mean, I don't understand why he's asking why. Why would he think that this kid would ever be in Turkish prison? I don't know, but I still find it hilarious. Um, but I think that's just the fun of airplane too—is that you know the the absurdism of something like that, or the horse being in bed with the woman, and she, like she tells the horse, "There's juice in the fridge, and you can let yourself out the back." I just, I don't know about man. Like I, at first.
1: Well, there's jokes like that where I assume I'm missing something. Like, I know <laughs> it's just so weird. Like, this has to be a reference that I'm not understanding. Or yeah, there's
0: I mean, we'll stuff get where I feel like as a kid I didn't get it, and then now it's dated. The reference is dated, and I still don't get it. You know, <laughs> so
1: yeah. Or or the the opposite, uh, which we'll get to a top secret. But there's jokes when I was a kid that I just thought were funny for being weird. And, like, now I get that that was an actual reference. So I I got two versions of that joke. One not getting the reference and one getting the reference. And a classic example of that for me is in UHF, not in this realm. But when he makes the the mountain out of the mashed potatoes and says, Terry, this means something. This is important. I had not seen Close Encounters, and I just thought it was hilarious that he was making... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> saying a statue made out of mashed potatoes was important and i still find it funny but now having seen uh close encounters several times it's it's funny on a different level i th- I, I think it's funnier for me personally not knowing that it's a reference like just me ma- if he had just been making a statue of or uh of mashed potatoes it's almost funnier to me
0: uh-huh. I think that's also like if if you want to talk about the difference between uh, the Zucker Abram Zucker stuff and then I guess the uh, is it the Friedberg saltzman Salz Salzburg Seltzer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the their films um, you know like and people have said this but it's you know the the newer ones they're just references there's not really a joke there and if you haven't seen the source material. There's no laugh. But with the Zucker, Abram Zucker thing, a lot of these movies, there's references to things, and especially as a kid, you definitely did not know what they were referencing. And it was still funny. It still worked for whatever reason. And they're very good at that, I think.
2: Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, it's it's really obnoxious what those guys are doing. I mean, even when I saw trailers for their films I said there's just no way you can ever get me to watch that movie their their movies I mean I even just for a little bit on YouTube I tried to watch some clips and I couldn't get through them like they are the opposite of funny they're like anti-humor to me it's I don't even know how to describe it's it's just like a it's painful to me (laughs) to see those guys attempt comedy, because it really is, let's just throw in this pop culture reference, like, leave Britney alone, bring back that person who went viral. Or cho- the chocolate rain guy, bring back him who went viral. Yeah,
0: and I mean, all that stuff, like, t- even two years later, I'm sure, like, is no. not funny anymore, even if you thought it was funny the first time. But, you know, that comes back to the th- the point about, Like the the Zucker, Abram Zucker films, there is kind of a story, things make sense, and you're along for that ride. And most of the modern spoof movies and even a lot of modern comedies, they just throw story completely out the window because we just want to make people laugh as much as possible. And, you know, sometimes I'm okay with that. Like I like that idea of let's just throw out all the clichés, all the bullshit, let's just be funny. But sometimes you need to care about the characters. You need to actually be pulled through this thing by something and uh that seems to be missing. Yeah, out. I
2: genuinely think that Ted Striker has an arc, you know, that you grow to care about over the course of the film. I mean, he's not like um, you know, one of the most original creations in film history or comedy, but it's, you know, there's there's certain, I mean, even something like The Jerk, even though obviously Steve Martin is a complete jerk and socially awkward and oblivious to how people really interact, you kind of care about his character and his journey um, just because of the way Steve Martin is in general. Like, you just, you really grow to appreciate the way these actors bring nuance to what could have been just something like a character that's just serves to ridicule the whole time. You actually care, which I think is, and that, you know, that's also something, you know, we brought up recently when we did an episode on the films of uh, 1986. I remember us talking briefly about find that balance between humor and, and I feel like the Farrelly brothers did it early on and Judd Apatow certainly did it early on um, I mean obviously, obviously this, is, this is more about the joke what the Zuckers were doing so I, I certainly appreciate that approach like I said the Mad Magazine or the National Lampoon kind of let's throw everything against the wall approach but I actually do care about Ted Stryker um, in this movie it's not like I want to watch them crash and burn you know so yeah I, I see where you're coming from with that
0: uh, one other small point about airplane we mentioned this on film junk this week but i'm wondering it could be the first example of a post credit stinger because there's there's a scene at the end did you see it or have you seen it jim
2: yeah i've 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 been aware of what they do um with the credits for a while now i, I don't remember if i Maybe it was the second Naked Gun I saw in the theater and just sat through the credits because I knew that was coming. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know if this is this is this could very well be the first example of that. And I also know that they got into a little bit of trouble with the FBI.
0: <laughs> what?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess... I don't know if it was the studio and the FBI, but they were not happy with the fact that they brought up the whole piracy thing at the very end of the credits... Um, cause there's like, you know, obviously the copyright, blah, 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 don't use this movie or replicate it or reproduce it in any way. And they end it with, so there, <laughs> um, and the FBI was actually mad that they took piracy so lightly that they actually contacted them to uh, hmm. express their disgust or whatever, <laughs> which is silly. Wow.
0: Yeah. I feel like that stuff has been played with by other movies since then but yeah that is weird that anybody would care
2: yeah i would i would say that 21 jump street and 22 jump street are good examples of find that nice balance even though i don't i don't know if i'd necessarily call them straight parody films but i certainly appreciate that level of humor again caring about the characters let's move on guys cuz for sure. uh that in nineteen eighty five well I mean, and you know to to my mind, police squad is essentially three hours of hilarity that are pretty close to rivaling the naked gun films i mean it but it lasted just six episodes before they had the the plug pulled, so it wasn't you know it was only until after that film or that, I mean, that show just sort of flopped and didn't become a success that they decided, well, we better work on something. And so they kind of haphazardly put together what would eventually become Top Secret, which spoofed World War II films, as well as Elvis Presley pictures. And what we have here is kind of a crazy, absurdist joke machine. And, you know, there isn't necessarily an arc Involved or a plot that's you know easily digestible or you know a consistent narrative of sorts, it's really just broadly drawn characters, a lot of weird episodic skits of you know some kind. Uh, that I just it's the very definition of bizarre, uh, throughout a lot of this movie that I just adore. I this is still to this day my favorite zucker abrams zucker creation because it is so weird and to some degree it is a little hit and miss there's not every joke hits but i find that fascinating it's like a bizarre kind of fever dream this movie so i love it i i know other people do think it's it's inconsistent but i i i watch every time i rewatch it i enjoy it more and more
0: well i'm a huge fan of top secret as well um i i certainly saw it after the naked gun i remember the cover of this thing in video stores because the poster and the the vhs cover was just you know the cow suit and i remember always seeing it and just being like what the fuck is this and like you know obviously it's it said like from the makers of airplane or whatever and i was intrigued but that cow suit i think kept a lot of people away and but it was just one of those things one night with a bunch of friends at a video store and it's like, we, we gotta give this a chance. Let's check it out. And it was just like, we all were dying of laughter and, uh, you know, you definitely need a specific sense of humor. You need to like the naked guns and the airplane movies. But I think, you know, if you kind of warm up to that and then you see this, to me, this is like the height of their mastery of that style of humor And I think what I like the most about it is just the absurdity and just the sheer number of jokes that are being thrown around. Um, you know, I I think there is, I I will say, I think there is a coherent plot in there. Um, but it's, you know, it it is mashing up all these genres and it will, it, it definitely will go for the joke over any sort of logic and, uh, but I like that about it. And I think Val Kilmer, is it like his first uh, major role? Yeah, I think it's his... And a, mm-hmm. I think he's very good in the film. And it's just funny, you know, because he kind of became uh, an actor that took himself pretty seriously later in his career. And I think he, as well as the Zucker Abrams Zucker team, don't really, you know, look at this movie as anything special especially because it kind of bombed when it came out. But I think it is something special. And uh, just ever since I've been trying to push it on people, but not a lot of people are taking it, that's for sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of how I felt when I was showing everybody Wet Hot American Summer and they would look at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears when I'd be laughing so hard watching (laughs) it with them and they're just like what? What what are you laughing at? I'm just like everything. Everything's funny. <laughs> so Frank, how do you feel about Top Secret?
1: Well, it's interesting because I had never seen Top Secret before this. Uh and it's weird because I do remember the cover very well in the video store as a child. Mm-hmm. And it's got an animal on it, which I figured would be enough for me to get like It should have spoke I to just, you, Frank. It really should have. It's. It looks so, uh, I don't know why I never rented it. And I was actually, by the end, I was definitely on board. And I think I like it more than the th- three and a half I gave it on Letterboxd, the more I think about it. And for me personally, I just find that the second half is way funnier than the first half. I don't know if that's common opinion, but I feel like this movie really hits its stride towards the end, which is rare for a comedy. And unless I'm missing jokes, which could definitely be the case at the beginning, especially considering I am the, I am not the most well-versed person when it comes to World War II movies, that there might be references and gags that I'm just missing at the beginning. Uh, But by the time it gets into the second half yeah. I mean the whole reverse shot scene I think is amazing the visual the visual gags with the 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 uh, magnifying glass eyeball gag and the perspective of the telephone among other things like I think all that oh I have the underwater bar fight all that stuff happens in the second half of the movie and I think that's really like legitimately clever stuff and uh not as so much laugh out loud funny as some of the stuff in uh, naked gun, but just really creative. And I'm surprised that, that they would be not that crazy about it. Cause I think there are a ton of creative ideas in the movie, like not just funny. I think there's brilliance in it as well. And I would just say the, the musical stuff, the musical numbers, I don't find that funny. Like I, I feel like, the joke is almost in the title of the songs, and uh, they might play on a little too long. That's a personal thing. I don't know how other people feel about that, but overall, I really liked it. And I don't know. I was, I was surprised that because a lot of the times watching older comedies that you didn't see when you were a kid, it's tough to get yourself back there, but I didn't have that problem with this movie. I liked it.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I really don't know any German. That's all right. I know a little German. He's sitting over there. Thank you, um, Hillary. Hillary. that's an unusual name.
1: It's a German name. It means "she whose
0: bosoms defy gravity."
2: The scene should be funny enough on its own, and I think that's the power of this film and the Airplane and Naked Gun to some de- to some degree. But I just think, you know, and you mentioned the the musical numbers too. Like, I don't think they're hysterically funny. I, you know, it's. I, rewatching also the the second Naked Gun, there's a dance number in that that I think is pretty equal to the dance number he has with the with with the woman that he's you know um, helping out in Top Secret. Like they're they're very similar. Like they sort of occasionally, especially in if you watch all the Naked Gun movies and then if you watch certain episodes of Police Squad, they did recycle some of their best gags to some degree, which I don't have a problem with necessarily either um, but yeah, like, like you mentioned I think there's just really creative inventive things throughout this movie that nobody else really tried to replicate in any capacity I mean, again, it's, it, it's sort of the throat-against-the-wall approach to see what works and it's disappointing to know that they're pretty hard on themselves because this wasn't a success when they kind of hoped it would be But then at the same time, it's not a straight parody of one one genre or one type of, you know, it's not a parody of a disaster film consistently throughout the whole movie. So I don't know if people were ready for a comedy like this at the time. I think it's one of those examples of being ahead of its time.
0: Well, I think it was definitely tough to market. And I mean, the poster is kind of an example of that. It's like, I don't know, it doesn't really tell you anything about what you're getting into. Um, But I I will say it's also a movie that I think rewatches, you're rewarded. There's a lot of weird things in the background that you notice uh, on rewatches. Like, um, I don't know if you guys know the scene where they're meeting... And there's, like, a statue of a pigeon in the background. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? There's, like, all these weird things happening in the background. And, like, you might notice one or two of them the first time you you watch it. But then if you focus on it, there's, like, crazy stuff happening. And, like, the idea of, like, there's humans that are sitting on the statue and then they fly away. And then the statue poops. And, like, it's crazy. (laughs) So I love all those little things. I mean I I agree with what you're saying Frank like the musical stuff is probably the weakest but uh it it it's still impressive that you know they they pulled off some of this stuff and uh I think the first half there are things like I I like the scene when they're on the train coming in all the weird gags like out the window and like he's listening to like uh learn how to speak german and all the I words all are this. like stereotypical <laughs> german words and uh that kind of thing and then like that's kind of reflected later as well when they meet the the french resistance and all their names are like french words <laughs> like croissant and uh chocolate mousse and stuff like that um but i agree like it's it's not stuff that i necessarily laugh out loud uh, especially on on rewatches but i just appreciate it and i don't get tired of it so
2: yeah it finds the right balance between you know the prop joke the quotable dialogue the physical comedy and uh, just weird random stuff um, and you know again like i certainly t- didn't when i was younger i did not understand the antenna going up when omar sharif is rushed into a car cube
1: <laughs> um i love the the him returning as the car cube as well i think all that yeah. stuff is really funny did not see it coming and it, it's an original sight gag that right i don't think i've seen in anything else like you had mentioned
2: yeah that's that's the joy of watching this movie is that there's just things in here that were fresh then and then rewatching it now is still fresh to me So, yeah, I I love it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And
2: I think that if you haven't gone back to check this out, because it is sort of underappreciated, I think people should really seek this out. I mean, I don't know if it's gotten a proper release. I should have looked up and checked it out.
0: It has a a proper DVD release. I don't think there's Mm. a Blu-ray, at least not North American. There might be in another region. Yeah. So, no, it doesn't have a proper release.
2: (laughs) No baby blue. That's sad.
1: (laughs) Well, I just want to get the one last, the Nothing But Trouble reference. Oh, right, right, right. Like, it's weird. When, like, in Nothing But Trouble, one of my favorite scenes, well, the greatest scene is the dinner scene, and they serve Hawaiian punch, and they use a motor oil thing Uh. to serve. And I always thought that was Nothing But Trouble's joke, but it isn't. It's in. That's right. Now, the joke isn't that they're drinking Hawaiian Punch in this one (laughs) for dinner and pouring it with an oil can spout. It's that they're pouring, they're giving (laughs) fluids to Omar Sharif in the car. And it's like a reverse of the the use of the oil can and the spout. But I got to say, it did bring nothing but trouble down a little bit for me. And it just sucks because the more we get into stuff on Film Junk and the more stuff I see the more I realize how little originality there is and like how many things that I just have to question, how many things that I think are funny are actually original or, and I, maybe they're slight variations or references and I just haven't seen the thing they're referencing. And that, that kind of depresses me a bit.
2: Maybe you should not watch any Marx Brothers movies. Cause then you might yeah. be even more depressed.
1: Yeah, I don't think I should watch any more movies ever. Just yeah. rewatches from now on. <laughs> yeah, stop going to the cinema, guys. <laughs> Just concentrate on older <laughs> movies. It's
2: a lot more fun. <laughs> oh, my lord. But I do like the fact that your premiums are sort of, uh, you know... You've had, like, John Carpenter specials, and you're talking about Tim Burton coming up. I'm like, I see what's going on here, guys. That's that's very, very good, very clever. I think it's important to get your your stamp on a Director's Club-centric episode.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's where we really delve into the old stuff, but I... I I'm doing this show now. I'm thinking, like, we have always kind of neglected comedy because we've thought, eh, there's not really, like, what do you talk about other than this part was funny, this part was funny. But now I'm, like, thinking, man, we should be considering some comedy stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I, I could see that working out pretty well. Do an Adam Sandler special premium.
1: Oh, yeah. I think yeah. the, the Tim Burton one would almost be a comedy one.
2: Yeah, well, kind of, s- yeah. well, speaking of which... You know, who says, it's Enrico Palazzo, right, Frank? What? Um, in Naked Gun, the spectator towards the end, who screams out, it's Enrico Palazzo! It's Enrico Palazzo!
1: I'm trying to remember who it was. I don't remember.
2: It's Enrico Palazzo! It's Francis! Oh, right. Yes. From, <laughs> of P- course. from Pee Wee's Big Adventure.
1: Or Chubbs from uh, Teen Wolf.
2: Oh, yeah. that's Yeah, I should have gone there.
1: Too. So if we're get- I mean, uh, there's an even bigger thing going on here with Tim Burton and the Naked Gun that I don't know if we all picked up on. I have a feeling Sean did, but hmm. I think we'll we'll wait till we get a bit more into the movie. Well, we just want to th-
2: instead of me instead of it being too repetitive. Why don't you why don't you set this one up, Frank? Because I've set up the other two. Let's let's change it up here just just for kicks.
1: All right. So, <laughs> well, Naked Gun. I think out of anything we watched is the one I've seen the most, loved the most as a kid. Uh, Actually, I've never seen Police Squad, but I was—I think I'm going to oh, buy it yeah, for sure based really on should. this. And I, I just as a kid, one and two, I, I absolutely loved. Would rent all the time. Owned on VHS after that, and even thirty-three and a third had a soft place, soft spot in my. I had a soft spot for that, and I think as a kid, I identified more with the absurdity of the movies and the visual gags. Uh, and now I th- I've completely flipped. And the reason why I love it is the deadpan deliveries, the, the wordplay on metaphors coming out of narration and film noir stuff. And uh, the sexual references now I think are hilarious, which I didn't get as a kid. And I just think it's when we going back to what we said before, the idea of the deadpan aspect and this movie brings it all together for me and has that perfect narrator. Having a narrator that's deadpan, first of all, adds a whole other element to the comedy. And having that person be Leslie Nielsen, that's the character you're following through the movies is almost perfect for me in spoofing, like noir stuff as well and detective stories. It, to me, it's just like the everything coming together for them. And uh, I admit the trilogy kind of goes down and peaks with the first one, but I still find the first one really, really good. And, uh, I mean, my favorite scene by far out of all the stuff we watched for this, uh, episode, it, it comes, it's when Nordberg has initially been put into the coma and it's George Kennedy and Leslie Nielsen trying to console, uh, Mrs. Nordberg and that progression of like oh, yeah. Frank Trevin just saying the worst things, which also had take on a new meaning after the O.J. Simpson trial when he says of course, could have been a, yeah. a jealous husband <laughs> or a gay lover. But the end line where George Kennedy says, and we just want you to know as soon as Norberg's back up in his feet, he's welcome again at police squad, and Leslie Nielsen says something to the effect, unless of course he's a drooling vegetable, but I think that goes without saying. <laughs> like honestly, I was absolutely dying dying like watching that line and i think i talked about it at work for the next two days because my my co-worker paul also loves these movies a lot
0: there's no way for a man to die yeah you're right ed a parachute not opening that's a way to die getting caught in the gears of a combine having your nuts spit off by a laplander that's the way i want to (laughs) go
2: oh, this is terrible. Don't you worry, Wilma. Your husband is going to be all right. Don't you worry about anything. He's right, Wilma. But I wouldn't wait until the last minute
0: to fill out those organ donor cards.
2: Yeah, it's, uh... Do you guys get a perverse thrill out of watching O.J. Simpson, like, get the crap beat out of him now? (laughs) Like, even in the second one, where he's being dragged under different cars, and then ultimately the, the bus? I don't know why, I just... It's a weird feeling I'm watching O.J. Simpson getting the crap beat out of. Him yeah, in and there's ways. so
1: many things that like take on a new meaning. It's like they almost knew this his how his life was going to play out because there's a weird <laughs> subtext to every joke where I'm like, man, it's weird that they did that thing specifically, or like said it could be a jealous husband. As the it's I don't know it's that whole thing is weird. I never found the Nordberg stuff all that funny anyway uh it, it was never yeah. like it's the most over the top stuff which tends to be my least favorite stuff in these movies uh but i mean it's still okay i don't i don't roll my eyes at it or anything like that but yeah it, it is it's certainly interesting seeing where that human being <laughs> ended up and how these movies fit into that legacy
2: yeah i think it was in either 88 or 89 That we rented this, and it was oh my god! It was one of those huge rentals that was always out at the video store. That like my family, we just kept calling or kept going back, hoping it was in. And when we finally watched it, we just we were beside ourselves with with laughter. And you know, it's 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 funny because like I watched. The Police Squad series after this, because I, th- I think I also rented, like, all three cassettes that had, like, two episodes each on them uh, from from Blockbuster, and I actually found those episodes to be even funnier. They were weirder, they were more in line with the top-secret kind of absurdity throughout, where they're there strange throwaway jokes. Oh,
1: yeah. I did rent it as a kid. I did rent it as a kid too. I, I now that I think about it after watching Naked Gun. I and I, I think the fact that you're saying it's stranger makes sense because I remember not getting a lot of the jokes in that show. Like the the Naked the Naked Gun plays a bit more to kids I think than the show would.
2: And it's possible that if you watch these episodes again, you might get disappointed. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's a lot of recycled jokes. Like, I even I think you know, they they have the joke. Is this some kind of bust? And then it's reused again in the second one. But that doesn't yeah. bother me. I still think, <laughs> especially the first Naked Gun is fairly close to being as good as Top Secret and Airplane. I think I just like weirder stuff a little bit more. To where I just prefer their earlier work. But at the same time, the first naked gun... I mean, the the whole sequence at the baseball game is consistently great. I love the blurs. I, I, I was like, so... We were so taken aback by the final uh, guy getting his head knocked off when we first saw this, that it was just like, oh my god! But it's still... we My dad and I, that was our sense of humor, is just everything that takes place at the baseball game... And uh, pretty much the majority of UHF.
0: <laughs> um,
2: so how about you, Sean?
0: Well, so I was just going to say, um, I mean, out of the ones we rewatched, I think I laughed the most at this one currently. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's pretty close. It's up there for me. Uh, I think I definitely watched it uh, a bit more as a kid and I have that attachment to it frank you gotta agree i'm assuming the baseball stuff with major league there had to be a connection there for you because i feel like with me and my friends there was like that the fact that there's a section of the baseball game made this something we wanted to return to
1: well even just at this age i think baseball was the only sport i really even thought about and was into so i loved everything with baseball pretty much and the baseball scene is definitely one of my favorites, and the performance as the umpire is pretty amazing. I would say uh, that's still yeah. that's still funny for me.
0: Yeah, and I mean uh, it's interesting that I think different kinds of humor stood out in the, each of these three movies. To me, like if Airplane was it was more the wordplay, Top Secret was more the absurd stuff. This one, there's a lot of physical comedy. There's a lot of, but um, I mean there is still wordplay. But it just uh, Leslie Nielsen's performance, I definitely appreciated, and I feel like he's bringing something more than just reading the lines he's told. As as we said, that they kind of have a reputation for doing. And um, but it is interesting that you pointed out, Jim, that there's a turning point where he starts mugging to the camera a lot more at some point in the series yeah that's the term. and uh but that's not Mm -hmm. really happening in the first one which is i think part of what makes it great and uh but yeah and as you mentioned frank the a lot of the sexual jokes definitely went over my head when i was younger and uh nice beaver yeah yeah <laughs> well <laughs> classic
1: uh, well and then like loaded weapon pretty much copied that exact joke with the gratuitous beaver shot in the uh, basic instinct like that's the thing they got to the jokes first oh my and, god uh,
2: loaded weapon i forgot about that and, one <laughs> and,
1: and i think that's why the spoof genre died off because even watching these now and forgetting what some of the jokes were i mean there's a suspense to like Now that you know how these movies work, someone will say a line and your brain is working like, okay, what's the -the out-of-the-box take on that? Like, where are they going to go with this? And you almost try to figure out the jokes. And they... Honestly, these movies still surprised me where they took a joke even further than I expected or didn't take the obvious route with stuff. They took maybe a more submersive take on it or it went to a different spot that wouldn't be what you'd expect. They almost expect people to be listening or watching this and like listening to the lines and being, Oh, I know what they're going to do here. And they still try to surprise people with their writing.
0: Yeah. Also the uh, going back to airplane, it's interesting. Like the pacing of airplane and pacing of the jokes is definitely a little slower. And when you've kind of, become accustomed to Naked Gun, Top Secret, and then you rewatch Airplane, you're kind of waiting. You're like, okay, there's going to be a joke here and a joke here, and then it kind of doesn't come, and you're like, oh, that's weird. And it's just because they hadn't quite got to that level yet. But, like, I remember there's a joke in Airplane where, I mean, I think it's a joke. It's not really that funny, but, like, where they're kind of, he's uh, strikers, like, looking at the control panel for the plane, and it's kind of panning across, and it just keeps going. Yeah. And I guess the joke is just that it's this huge control panel, but like I feel like in a later film they would have like had all kinds of other weird shit like starting to pop up on the screen and I was waiting for it and it just didn't happen. Well and Spaceballs pretty
1: much borrows the same gag with the introduction of uh Dark Helmet's ship. Like it just oh, right, goes on and yeah. on forever. Which right, is right. Ki- kind of reappropriating that joke. Some other sequences that stand out to me Is like the um, I'm into something good uh, music video tagline. Oh,
2: yeah, that's so good at
1: montages. Yeah. And, uh, let's, Oh, who's the other one? Shit. I lost it for a second. Anyway, sorry.
2: Uh, the platoon, when they walk out of platoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, uh,
1: the, I don't know why I didn't remember, but. The when he's coming off the airplane at, after the beginning and it's we the celebrity everyone is waiting for is <laughs> yeah. Weird Al just slayed
0: me for some reason, uh, and we well, when, as uh, as uh, as I've sent a link to you guys. I think that Weird Al is on record, top secrets his favorite film of all time, and he's championed it. I don't know if at that point he had put that out there, but it is a weird coincidence that he's in it.
2: He's in all three of them, isn't he? All the three naked gun movies. I know he's in is the he? third one cuz yeah. he's at the Oscars with Vanna White.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if he's in the second one. Mm. I don't think so. Yeah, I
2: don't remember I don't remember seeing him in the second one, but I I just assumed that he would be. <laughs> but yeah, I know I mean like we mentioned earlier with like the mugging to the camera, I feel like the awareness of a joke is really uh, like I just think guys like you know, Jimmy Fallon, I mean, and Mike Myers, Adam Sandler. I mean, I mean, I realize Saturday Night Live is a whole other platform where they would sort of smirk at the camera or break at each other's jokes. And to me, that got old after a while. I think there are instances of that happening, you know, even in a movie that are actually very charming. Um, I think even, in, you know, in Top Secret, they mention like, oh, this sounds like something out of a bad movie. And they look to the camera. You know, like that kind of stuff I think is overdone in a lot of contemporary yeah. movies where it's just like, let's wink at the camera to make sure the audience knows we're in on the joke, you know? And I just think like guys like Adam Sm- Adam Sandler certainly smirk a lot at, you know, their own, their own stuff. And I just think that what Leslie Nielsen does here uh, is really just like walking that fine line. Cause you know, even do great physical comedy here, but he still plays it like he's a hard-boiled detective. Like even some of the things he says, you mentioned Frank with the overdubbing uh, narrator. Like her hair was the color of gold in old paintings. It sounds like something that you'd hear right of crime fiction. So I think that sort of works in its favor.
1: The kind of legs but, you could suck on for a day. And yeah, <laughs> my favorite one of all of those is Naked Gun Two and a Half when he's.
2: Yep, uh, that one. That was one of the first things you sent us, and yeah, I love that. It's like
1: and breasts that say hey look at these
2: <laughs> that stuff is amazing to me yeah yeah no definitely and i think you know every everything in police squad especially when i think about it and i didn't even realize that joe dante actually directed one of the episodes until i rewatched it which was interesting just to see like him starting out in that world because he he was uh, you know Joe Dante is another interesting director that we covered but he started out with something called the movie orgy, which is like this seven hour crazy mashup of stuff that you know like you probably find on YouTube, but a lot of it was taken out of context and just like these weird non sequiturs or just strange surreal educational videos. Like, he would string all this stuff together seamlessly that would definitely f- fit into the world of Kentucky Fried Movie and Amazon Women on the Moon. Obviously, Amazon Women on the Moon he had a part in, but I just think it's interesting, too, like, just some of the uh, the names that they worked on with, with Police Squad is interesting and how it sort of uh, evolved into the Naked Gun series. But then I think... Um, the Zucker, the Zucker team left after, I mean, they all sort of broke up, I guess you could say, and did all their own projects after the Naked Gun.
0: Well, w- yeah, it makes me wonder if the three of them together is the key. It makes me wonder if there's other people involved in these that were also kind of unsung heroes. Um, kind of, st-
2: I would imagine Pat Proft is possibly one of those, yeah. because that name came up. Um, and the second naked gun, which Which I do is like. just
1: David Zucker and Pat Proft writing.
2: Well, I, yeah, I know Pat Proft did uh, Wrongfully Accused, but yeah, no, that's an interesting point. I mean,
1: I think it is. I think they probably have different angles on things. And when we talk about how the three movies specifically that we talked about, they seem to approach hu- all the different types of humor and play in different directions. And I think mm-hmm. probably within that team certain members are better at different types of humor. And they, I think there is something special about the three of them together that, uh, kind of, you get the full pastiche of humor when all three are involved.
2: Yeah. Cause I think naked gun 33 and a third is definitely the weakest of the three. And I don't, I think, um,
1: Peter Siegel directed that. Yeah.
2: One. Yeah. That's again, like they, they, they find these outliers that uh, you know that would sort of contribute. I know that was his first film, but he went on to do some. He went on to do like Tommy Boy, if I'm not mistaken. Another th- yes. other things. So, um. But yeah, no. That's it's it's just interesting to think about, like just their dynamic together and how they must have worked together. Um. And you know, I, I mean, it's like any great team. I guess they would want to go off and do their own sort of solo side projects, like Jerry Zucker would go on to do. Probably the biggest success of his career with Ghost
0: because that was a huge hit. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that he did that movie. But I was thinking about that because, like, I mean, are there any other well-known three-man directing teams? I feel like even two-man directing teams, there's there's more of those. And I feel like a oh, lot yeah. of those do end up breaking off and going their own ways probably because you can make more money as a single director as opposed to, you know, a, a dual or a triple director team Hmm.
2: yeah i don't know of any other examples of a triple do you frank
1: no i i couldn't really think of any
2: hmm
0: that's interesting too i mean certainly there's Mm. anthology films that have you know more than two directors but something like what they do i don't know
2: yeah there should be more triplets out there. You got a lot of Cohen. You got the Cohen brothers and Fairley brothers. A lot of brother teams. There should be some triplets. That's what we need more of.
0: Googling three <laughs> man directing teams, I just get a lot of three man wrestling teams. So I don't. I don't think there's any out there. There's three <laughs> men true. and the
2: baby.
1: Uh, I I want to. I mentioned something earlier when we we're talking about Tim Burton coming into here and I thought you guys might have picked up on it and this is for the listeners too if anyone can shed any light on this I couldn't find anything online so there's a scene in a meat packing uh factory in Naked Gun towards the end where he's firing a gun and he they the guy ends up dying and falling into a vat of chemicals and the shot at the end is his hand going down into the chemicals just like the joker in tim burton's batman now and even on imdb it says it's a reference to batman was the trailer out this has to be wrong because because uh i don't know but batman came out the year after naked gun so i don't know if they're both referencing an older movie that i haven't seen i couldn't find it online uh, that what they bo- could both be drawing from what I like to think is Tim Burton had like the brilliant idea to spoof naked gun and people 20 years in the future wouldn't they would think oh he added a joke to naked gun retroactively as a reference. I'm pretty sure that's what the Tim Burton did. He is he's a genius. <laughs> he added a reference. He added a reference that wasn't there. In the Naked Gun. Absolute brilliance. Hmm. I hadn't yeah, I considered know. it at all. I feel That's like the trailer
0: must have been out or something, and they're just trying to play into Oh, come that. on, Sean. No way. Just, you <laughs> know, just <laughs> throwing it out there.
1: I also entertained the thought, but I couldn't find it online, that maybe that scene was added for the video release or something like that. It wasn't in hmm. the theatrical. But if anyone knows or has any uh, light to shed on that, I would love to hear how how that
0: went down?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting point. I was just thinking maybe they saw a, a rough cut of Batman beforehand. So, so I think
0: <laughs> I I, uh, I just found one example of a three man writer director team. Why uh, three person? I th- I believe it. Uh, the movie Turbo Kid was directed by three people, and I think there's a, a oh really a handful of these hmm. sort of filmmaker collectives out there. Yeah. Although usually, still, you find one person gets the directing credit, probably for DGA reasons or something weird like that. But yeah, there might be a few examples out there. I just don't know. Well,
2: feel free to share those at directorsclubpodcast at gmail dot com, along with uh, Frank's Tim Burton inquiry. That would be uh, mm, mm-hmm. get some of the listeners involved in this. Yeah, but um, you know, I mean, we we definitely covered. Like, what makes a parody movie successful? And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's, you know, the the fact that, like, none of these movies that they've done come across as shrill or obnoxious either. Because, like, I think a lot of comedy now is loudness and mean spiritedness, and it comes across as very callous at times, rather, you know, like something like. Horrible bosses, even in the title, um which you know I don't dislike necessarily like there's there's a place for the i guess it's always sunny in Philadelphia kind of humor, but I don't necessarily get invested in that, like I don't feel the need to check in on those characters as much. it's like I don't know if, I don't know if how do you feel frank about that kind of humor. I don't know if you
1: well, I think. I think you're onto something, and I was thinking back to your earlier point about uh, taking the, what the fairly brothers can do, taking raunchy things or maybe mean-spirited, I don't know, but adding heart to them as well. And I think that is a thing, and I was thinking specifically of horrible bosses, and the root of that, uh, to me is somewhat fairly and also bad Santa, which is like all the, oh, yeah. the, the bad mom movies, bad teacher, bad teacher, all like all that stuff kind of stems from that. And interestingly enough, like even bad Santa, I think there's heart and bad Santa between him and the kid as well. Even though he like treats him like shit for the most part, there is more of an emotional connection I have with that movie than any of the other terrible comedies. So, uh, yeah i I think you're right on the money with the like the anger and and shock value direction humor's gone and uh, knocked up i would say too is a a movie that is raunchy but still has a lot of heart and uh, likable characters so yeah it's i i hated horrible bosses and a lot of those other
0: movies so i'm i uh, I would I don't know. I would I, think the the hangover is ahead, the me. other sort of looming oh, influence yeah, yeah. that is still uh every, every other comedy, R-rated comedy that's coming out is still kind of carrying on that wave of party influenced uh raunchy comedies and uh, you know, I like The Hangover, the sequels uh not so much. But you know there is there is a little bit of mean spiritedness in that film, I would say, and yeah, just this idea of we just want to see people get fucked up and do crazy shit, and that's all it is.
2: That's all bad mom was really uh, bad moms. That is right. where it. You know, it's, I think even Jay mentioned like I could not take another montage of them dancing in, you know drinking excessively dancing in slow motion while a hip hop song plays like i was just like really is this is this where comedies are now where it's just like a series of oh you know goody two shoe people acting outrageous and we get to watch it and watch really bad things and then what's really strange too is that they try to add sentimentality in late in the game to sort of compensate for all that mean-spiritedness. Like, oh, but actually, we really do love our kids. You know? Like, there, there's a scene where they're, like, yeah. at a restaurant, and they're actually making fun of their kids, and then suddenly they turn around and go, but, oh, but we love them! <laughs> it's just, it's like like being in a bumper car when it comes to comedy. It's like not finding that right balance, that right tone, that I think, like the Farrelly brothers did. Especially, I know, Frank, you're a big fan of Kingpin, that's That, to me, is like a movie yes. that f- f- completely works as a comedy that's vulgar and absurd and crazy, but has heart, I also think, between like the relationships there.
1: Yeah, I know. I I do love Kingpin probably more than I could ever describe. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> while you were mentioning Jay, I, I, could, I had another note here. The One of the most infamous film junk moments is Jay... Uh, going to the bathroom with a wireless mic when and this happens in the naked gun and I didn't even realize it at the time that I don't know if Sean if you were aware when that happened on the show that uh, oh yeah uh, I think
0: people in the comments were definitely yeah? saying like, oh, that was the naked gun moment oh, Okay, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I never picked up on that before
1: but
2: was that during the avatar reel uh,
0: uh,
1: yeah yeah Never picked up on the the common commonality between the two there.
0: Um we also would like to
1: The joke is not in the title of any of the movies we've talked about. There is almost no joke in the title other than the exclamation point, I guess, is something
0: you could say, right? So, uh, the, that well, reveals... naked how- gun is kind of a joke. Uh,
1: well, I I never got that joke, Sean. Can you explain neither,
2: that? Neither did I. I was going to ask you about that.
0: Well, it's just naked gun. It's like a, a penis. Like, I don't know. It just seems like a pretty clear <laughs> reference to me. <laughs>
1: Okay, all right.
0: But I, you know, we should mention Frank. You were saying uh, via email should these films be referred to as the exclamation point trilogy? And I was actually curious where they got the exclamation point from because it carried through into shit like Mafia. But uh, I think it's zero. I think it actually zero. Yeah, right. it comes from zero hour. So, <laughs>
1: but it is interesting <laughs> that weird. these three, where they like, it was the core team. Like, I think that is an exclamation point trilogy. I think uh, if we can go as far to say that there's a Cornetto trilogy, which I've resisted, this has to be the exclamation point trilogy. And I could not refer to it as that, see it referred to as that anywhere online.
0: The the only problem I have with that, Frank, is that the Naked Gun is part of its own trilogy. That's true. I know. I know. It's gross. Don't.
1: (laughs) But, but (laughs) the two and a half and 33 and a third do not have exclamation points in their titles. Mm. So they're almost... There's a uh, a Venn diagram there of trilogies that the, the Naked Gun is the overlap portion for. Right.
2: Well, now we can sort of just do like a roundtable um, approach to other parody films that we might have watched in the last week or two in preparation for this or anything that you just kind of want to bring up uh, that you feel adds to this conversation in general so uh we can start with sean this time
0: well i already mentioned um kentucky fried movie the only other thing i had time to watch was uh ruthless people oh, right, yeah you had mentioned jim and it doesn't totally fit in because it's not really a spoof but i was kind of curious uh what these guys could do in sort of a more straightforward comedy uh scenario and it's it, it was pretty good I I think uh, you know I didn't laugh a ton but I did I think the cast is pretty solid I guess I'll just say the premise is that um, basically there's a, a guy who's thinking about you know he's kind of plotting to kill his wife and then uh, a, an enemy of his that he worked with uh, kidnaps his wife and threatens to kill her if he doesn't you know, pay money or whatever. And he immediately sees this as the perfect opportunity to him for him to not have to kill her himself. And then there's all these other um, twists on it and, and sort of uh, ulterior motives and people getting in over their head. And, and uh, it's kind of a really clever concept. And I think that's what I appreciated most about it. Interesting that uh, Zucker Abrams and Zucker did not write the script for this. They were, just brought on as directors, um, but the cast is pretty solid. You've got Danny DeVito, uh, Judge Reinhold, uh, Helen Slater, Bill Pullman, who could be my favorite performance in the film, and uh, it was Midler. his first film. Really? Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah,
2: that was Bill per- Bill Pullman's first film, and uh, definitely one of the highlights of this film involves him interrupting. Kind of a drop-off sequence where judge reinhold has like the clown uh mask on Mm -hmm.
0: what the hell is going on i'm
1: robbing you stop him
2: did you shoot at me no you moron
0: there's police all over the place hundreds of them do i look that stupid yes you do you shot at me where's your gun well you're too sharp for me you got me figured out i don't have one that
1: was a brand new tire give me your keys i don't believe this give the bag to bozo drop the gun and put your hands in the air
2: who said that This could
1: very well be the stupidest person on the face of the
2: earth. This movie's a total farce, essentially. And it's interesting, like you mentioned, just to see how they would do with a more streamlined, straightforward comedy. Um, And I certainly remember liking this movie quite a bit, even when it first came out on video. I I remember laughing fairly consistently. I think I just enjoy any time Danny DeVito is a complete slimeball. I just... I think that's hilarious. I think he, he's just a brilliant comedic actor going all the way back to Taxi. So yeah. that's definitely a highlight. And uh, I don't think it's nearly on the same level as their parody films, but it's certainly enjoyable. Um, and even Jim Abrams himself would go on to work with Bette Midler again in a movie that I saw for the first time called Big Business. Hmm. Do you guys remember this movie Remember the poster,
1: no, never no. saw it
2: yeah it's it's not bad um again it's more in the middle for me i'm kind of just it's it's essentially one long joke where the the setup is essentially two sets of twins are separated at birth and you know one is from kind of a small town almost like the uh, town in Funny Farm, um, even more exaggerated, more or less. And the other is, they all live in the big city in New York, and they just um, you know, they're they're basically the fish-out-of-water small town people collide with the big city New York people, and the whole joke is they wind up staying, the, the two sets of twins wind up staying at the same hotel, and almost narrowly keep bumping into each other. And The thing about this, though, I found really interesting to watch is the special effects in terms of how they got two Bette Midlers and two Lily Tomlins often to appear appear in the same frame or walk into an elevator and then the other would walk out of another door. It looks seamless. Like, you don't see any green screen. You don't see anything that would indicate um, any sort of trickery involved. So I thought this was actually... the the best thing about it was just watching it and kind of go, how'd they do that? That was really well done. Like I couldn't find any uh, flaws in how they managed to put these people together in the same room or would just narrowly run into each other. But it's really, again, much like Ruthless People, farce, physical comedy, um, exaggerated characters. Um, Fred Ward is really funny in this. Um, he shows up as you know uh, someone who's trying to woo Lily Tomlin, and of course, a lot of it has to do with mistaken identity because when they show up in the same hotel, uh, potential suitors are coming by and get them mixed up, and they would wind up sometimes sitting in the same restaurant and complete opposite ends, and it's really goofy and ridiculous but i think that the charm of bett midler and the chemistry between her and lily tomlin together also playing very extreme opposites it's pretty enjoyable for the most part and it's interesting to see what jim abrams did on his own other than um um I'm trying to think of what hot else shots? besides mafia i guess hot shots right exactly So, yeah, um, I think big business is much, you know, since you mentioned with ruthless people, it's just a, you know, kind of a fairly funny farce that just happens to work because of its cast.
0: Hmm. Cool. Yeah, that sounds interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll talk about uh, the Pat Proft contribution here, which is wrongfully accused. Now, I don't have a ton to say about it. I, I don't think it's that great. As we talked about before, it's venturing into way too self-aware and uh, easy references like uh, a Star Wars lightsaber as a like that an usher uses instead of a flashlight right when Star Wars was getting big again and it's just really lazy for the most part. But the one scene that works as a reference and spoof and is like I was It was the thing I laughed the hardest at out of anything I watched this week is there's a scene where he's, he's on the run, much like the fugitive. It's a spoof of the fugitive, which was very popular around this time. And he is, he escapes into a town, which apparently is the highest policeman per capita town, which really isn't that important, but he goes into a fishing store and disguises himself as a fisherman and uh what's the guy's name from America's Most Wanted he comes out and starts questioning him and he basically does the usual suspects but using a wall of fishing tackle as his names for everything. So he's like, uh, oh. he's like, Hey, I haven't seen you around these parts before. What's your name? He's like, mm, "Buzzin, Buzzin frog from, from Rapala. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that's hilarious. And that whole I remember that section. I swear to God, I was dying. And that like, that's a, to me is a, a great example of a spoof slash reference scene, uh, in these, the rest of the movie's trash, but I mean, yeah. It was worth it for that. A couple other laughs here and there, but I was really hoping to find some gems in here, and that was the only one.
0: You know, I've never seen you around here, Mr. Uh, buzzin'. Buzzin' Frog. Born on the
2: shores of the uh, Uralaba River in Rapala. A couple of husky uh, jerks uh, brought me to a Slimy Slug, uh, South Dakota. You know, up there by Timberdoodle.
0: The Zebco brothers. Uh, Smithwick and... Uh, uh, salty dog uh, shrimp uh, oh i can 't go fishing this afternoon <laughs> i've got a big meeting over at uh, uh, I'd forget my genitals if they weren 't super glued in between my legs water
2: skiing accident now that whole sequence in 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 the tack the fishing store is really funny, leading up to um when he's when he sees the wanted poster
1: yes <laughs> i i i agree and i get it confused because another i don't know i wanted to mention that as well but i know another movie did a similar gag and i can't remember which one came first i actually had it confused in my head where it might be loaded weapon i'm not you sure right where I, where they do a, a police rendition yeah picture And it's like some... The first joke is that it looks like a kid's picture that, like, it's a Mr. Potato Head thing, and then they show later them arresting a person with a head like that. And it's pretty similar to the the guy incognito joke in The Simpsons, too. There's a bunch of, uh, like, similar jokes out in the world with that take, but, I mean, it's, it's a slightly different one. I... I thought that joke was going to be like he was going to draw circles around his eyes or something else ridiculous. I had forgotten, and so, somehow they get into a fight or he picks up binoculars and eventually turns himself into the the altered version of his own photo by doing stuff in the store. But didn't play out like that. But uh, I, I love that 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 is easily the highlight of that. that movie.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree. It's that, that whole gag is very Looney Tunes kind of inspired. Like I could see Bugs Bunny doing something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, clearly Chuck Jones is also an example of a very early satirist slash parody artist who, you know, would do those types of things in his cartoons. But yeah, I, I would agree with, I just, I wish I liked wrongfully accused a lot more than I do. I feel like it wears out its welcome after a while. like, I think it kind of starts off strong and then, you know, that whole set piece is great and then it just it really peters out after a while.
0: Mhm. I think one of the problems with some of these later movies too is, you know, they they just start like smashing together like any Popular movie that they can right like it's it doesn't it doesn't commit to that initial. Well, even thing Top that Secret wasn't parodying. Seem to be anything that was you know,
1: actually popular at the yeah, time. Yeah, nor was Police Squad. Right, like they were almost filling fulfilling a gap that those movies weren't right, being made while kind of taking the piss out of them at the same time. Yeah,
2: but even in something like Scary Movie three, they just you know it, it's supposed to be a parody of horror films and, you know, things like Scream or at the time when The Ring was popular and whatnot. But, you know, they just decided to throw in, you know, a Matrix Reloaded joke with George Carlin as the architect. You know? (laughs) Just like, let's just throw that in there randomly. Why not?
1: And I remember, I think at the time... (laughs) Right. And this is another thing where spoof and parody is gone. It tends to exist more in the realm of sketch comedy nowadays. Mm. And I remember... I think it happened before scary movie. They did uh, like a actually really good spoof of the Matrix and the Architect with Will Ferrell on the MTV Movie yes. Awards and they would yeah. I- intercut like those are actually pretty good spoof stuff as well including I th- I I can't remember. I think Andy Samberg worked on those and uh like didn't um, Ben Stiller do a bunch of them? Yeah, but I think on the the later ones where Jimmy Fallon hosted and the other one those were basically written by the guys who did hot rod and pop star and i mean it definitely shows to me and there's one with the the third star wars movie where jimmy fallon hosted and a gag involving (laughs) barbecue on anakin's robe which i still think is one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my life and uh yeah i I just i think like parody's kind of lost its way but at least it exists sometimes really and it thrives in sketch comedy formats which is interesting considering you said that the kentucky fried movie originated from taking ideas when they were a sketch comedy group originally
2: yeah no that's true i mean going back to saturday night live in general i mean that's that was their game i mean they were also politically uh you know, sending up a lot of different things. They still do, but I, it's it's funny because like I think if if the Zucker's are almost like the SCTV of parody, then Friedberg and Seltzer are like the Mad TV of yeah. parody to some degree. Because I never found Mad TV to be funny at all.
0: Well, it is interesting, too, that... But, but let's not forget Mad Magazine here. Like, well, Mad yeah. Magazine's amazing. Oh, yeah,
1: for sure. But I remember when I was in university and I was taking, like, some film courses and we were getting into, like, it, Italian neorealism and other, and other stuff, like Italian films, mm-hmm. and there was a parody, I don't know how, I randomly stumbled upon it during the day, SCTV dedicated a whole episode to, like, spoofing Italian movies called Rome Italian Style. Yeah. And it, it, was it's like a, a half an hour episode that, like, I know a lot of the SCTV people were, like, truly, like, film fans and studied film. And it was, like, that really is, if, if you're going to spoof those types of movies, like, what's the audience for that? Like, that's truly a labor of love that only so few people will get. And I happened to come across it at, like, the most perfect
0: time, and it was awesome. It's almost like the documentary now. Yeah. Series. Yeah. Which I
2: have to oh, watch. That's so good. That's, it's really funny. Yeah. No, I think that's the thing too. I think SCTV really excelled in doing uh, that type of parody that took itself. A, I mean that I should say it's, it's along the lines of the early Zuckers with Abrams. Um, I mean with airplane and they did also days of the week, which was a soap opera parody but completely straight-faced mm-hmm. to where when I was younger I didn't yeah. I didn't get the humor I just <laughs> I was like this is taken way too seriously
1: <laughs> yeah totally and SCTV like they had just had like a weird ballsiness to where like obviously new parodies they only like make jokes about the most popular things yeah where they were almost parodying stuff that had a limited even audience to get the jokes. Like. Canadian films mm-hmm. or other Canadian stuff and Italian movies like they like ha- really had kind of a like a I wouldn't say brave but like against the grain approach to parody and, and what they actually decided to parody yeah, I
2: think there's a book that I, I need to pick up and I, I can't recall who wrote it but I I, I heard an interview on a podcast with the author of somebody who I believe went through every single SCTV episode to pinpoint exactly what was satirized, what was parodied, all the references that that show made in its entirety, which would be a very interesting hmm. sort of just reference guide to have on. Um, and just to know where a lot of this stuff came from. Cause again, a lot of things went over my head, a lot of references I didn't get at the time. That would be very interesting to go back to.
0: Is there a website? I don't know. For something like that? Like that, somebody needs to come up with that if that doesn't exist. Like it's just a reference website for like what is a movie referencing in this scene, you know? Like that would be Yeah,
1: I think actually one forgotten. I mentioned it briefly, but The Simpsons from 1990 to 1998 was one of the best yeah. sources of parody and absolutely
2: like i even think their their cape fear parody is better than cape fear exactly
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that that whole like to me in terms of comedy writing on a tv series that era season three to season eight i would say is the best of anything ever
2: yeah in terms of comedy absolutely like it was one of the most well it was the best written show on tv during that time yeah without a doubt now, are there other examples of recent comedies or anything else you wanted to bring up real quick here that uh, we can sort of get ready to close out the show?
1: I, I would just mention briefly. I didn't. I only watched half of it, but basketball was something else sure. I wanted to touch on because I feel like I think when I first met Sean. At Silicon Nights, I'm like, You gotta watch baseball, buddy. Like I was, <laughs> And he watched it and he's like, yeah, It's garbage. And he's probably get, <laughs> yeah. if it was today he would have given it a three out of, a courtesy three out of five on Letterboxd because he had just met me. But uh in actuality he wanted to give it a one and a half.
0: And I don't know if I, that's true. I don't totally remember it, but I remember there being some funny thing <laughs> But
1: I think it, it is an interesting hybrid between a Zucker script and then adding Matt Stone and Trey Parker and bringing a yeah. South Park sensibility to it. And not everything works, but I still laugh at a lot of stuff. And I think the I th- apparently David Zucker and his friends invented the game of basketball like before the movie and they actually played it and turned it into the movie. And it has some okay commentary on sports at the time and relocation and interleague play and stuff like that. But I think – I th- I think it kind of gets lost in the shuffle and I don't hear people mention it often. And I do see how people could hate it, but I personally still like it quite a bit.
2: Yeah, I remember liking it fine when it, when it first came out and you know, I, I remember that's, you know, r- right around when South park was starting out, if I recall. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, that I sort of went back and saw things like Hannibal the Musical and Orgasmo and didn't think too much of like some of their earlier stuff, but man, you want to talk about great comedies, what they you know, the South Park movie and Team America. Um yeah, you know, they did for some sure. incredible work. And I haven't kept up with South Park, but I hear nothing but amazing things about recent seasons as being like some of the best satire on television, period.
1: Yeah, I think when South Park gets it right they are amazing at it. Like there's some episodes that I mean, Aspen parodying eighties movies is like a perfect episode to me too. So, and that's like where the montage song from team America Mm -hmm. originated and they, uh, I think there's times where they can get it perfect. And I think their two movies are amazing and I wish they'd make another one at some point, although I doubt they
0: will.
2: And Sean, are there any other titles you want to bring up here towards the end?
0: No, I I really wanted to revisit some of the bad ones and just to compare and contrast, but I didn't really get a chance to. I will say, uh, I'm just looking at the filmography of Pat Proft here. It's pretty impressive, at least for screenwriting. I think Wrongfully Accused is the only thing he directed, but this guy's got, like, he wrote, co-wrote Police Academy. He's got credits on, well, I think it's probably just character credits on most of those, but... Uh, He's got a writing credit on the Star Wars Holiday Special. I mean, this guy's just <laughs> been been everywhere, done everything.
2: Holy cow! Well, he was. He also worked on the Smothers Brothers show,
0: which is yep, something I always wanted to go back party, and check Bachelor Party, real genius. Like some good eighties comedies in here.
2: Oh, how can you forget High School High?
0: Yeah, <laughs> saw that in theaters.
2: <laughs> yeah, I did too. I don't. Uh, I don't remember too much about it.
1: I got the poster. Do you want it? Sudden, no, that's yeah. okay. okay. That's all right. okay.
2: All right. I wasn't too <laughs> crazy about it. Man, Brain Donors. That's a movie I should go back to. That's, that's essentially just like a total riff on uh, the Marx Brothers, if I recall, with John Taturo. Have you guys yeah. seen Brain Donors? I, it's, it I don't seems think familiar.
0: So. I don't think I saw it, but.
2: Oh, it's pretty ridiculously great. Hmm. It's, it's, you know, again, throw everything against the wall, and it's pretty much a straight, I guess, a parody of, like, A Night of the Opera.
0: Frank That's is directed really by uh, Dennis, Dennis Dugan. Oh, did he? I yeah. think I did see that at some point,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would be curious to check it out for sure. I yeah. definitely remember the poster, or the, the movie cover, at jumbo video when I was a kid.
2: Yeah, and as far as the Hot Shots movies go... Again, hit and miss in terms of the jokes. Uh, I, I kind of get a kick out of something really ridiculous in, in the second one where Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen cross paths <laughs> as they're, like, they're driving by one another and they just point to each other and go, I love you. I loved you in Wall Street. <laughs> just, just for no reason, just because they were both in the same movie. <laughs> it's just pretty random and ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, they're kind of like doing a crossover between Rambo and Apocalypse Now in that moment. So it's it's again one of those like inside jokes if you're a movie fan that's that's kind of calling attention to itself but I, I just find it kind of ridiculously charming. And you got Richard Crenna in there again you know essentially you know uh paying homage to his own character in a way <laughs> like doing a riff on his own uh Troutman character from Rambo. So I mean it's it's I think like the the Saddam stuff is pretty dated and kind of dumb um but it's got its moments.
1: I thought I was thinking that that might be the case for the intro of Naked Gun as well, which is basically some of the uh, oh, political yeah. leaders that were at odds with America in the late eighties. But I think there was actually some okay gags. It's not amazing, but
2: yeah, it's not and bad. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting to see how much Robert K. Weiss has uh, contributed to the world of comedy as a producer. You know, like Blues yeah, Brothers. Absolutely. Amazon Women on the Moon, Naked Gun, UHF, of course, Nothing But Trouble, and uh, Sliders. (laughs) He was a co-creator on Sliders, which you got to love, right? Nice. That's a show that should be remade. That would be interesting to see that updated with new effects. I think that would be, I kind of have a soft spot for that show. Has nothing to do with parody. (laughs) But still, it's it's, kind of charming in its own way. But um yeah so I don't know man I uh I gotta I gotta say I'm interested to see what David Zucker is working on it's it, it's kind of just like well all I heard is that it's a film noir kind of parody thing and I heard recently although I think it's kind of gone into production limbo that there was gonna be another Frank Drebin spinoff with Ed Helms.
0: Which yeah, I kind of remember hearing something about that. I don't know what happened to it, but yeah, it yeah, could be kind of interesting. I don't know.
1: He's not that old, actually. Like when they were making the movies in the 80s, he was like in his third, like 30s essentially. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have a lot of hope for what he could uh, output these days, but I hope it's something good.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's safe to say that, th- you know, this. This team had a huge influence in the world of comedy. I mean, obviously you had Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Chuck Jones, Woody Allen, Steve Martin, all played a huge role before and after. But this rapid-fire style just was completely original for its time, and it's a source of nonstop hilarity for me, and kind of responsible for the development of my own sense of humor. And there wouldn't be a lot of certain sketch-based comedy, I think, without their contribution. And I think actually an early or a recent example of their style working very well, um, although most people don't agree that I've heard anyway, is uh, David Wayne's They Came Together. I,
1: I, I like that a lot, yeah, actually.
2: Yeah, I, I did too. I really, really thought that was fairly consistently funny. Um, but again, you also had things like movie 43 or the scary movie series. Right. So, and whatever, you know, date movie and all that crap has come out of there.
1: Now, speaking of like Police Squad and Naked Gun, did you guys like Sledgehammer when you were kids? Sledgehammer? I, did anyone I watch?
0: <laughs> vague memories of it. I don't think I really watched it that I don't much, know. but I, that's something I would be interested to revisit. I. I I remember loving it when I was a kid,
1: and it was kind of a cop parody show, hmm. probably more along the lines of a Dirty Harry okay. parody. I think yeah. it only had one season, but... I just I remember he I,
0: sleeps with his gun, right?
1: Yeah, and it has, like, a sledgehammer on the, the grip. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I loved this show when I was a kid. <laughs> and I remember uh, it came out on DVD eventually, and I bought it, and I was just like, what? It? Like, it, it was one of those things that... Whenever I watched it on DVD, it did not live up to my expectations, but I still, there's just not enough hours in the day, basically. I, I'm never going to have time to revisit Sledgehammer.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we usually end the show here with like a top three, but I don't really know how to go about doing this other than, <laughs> other than ranking the three Zazz films, I suppose. I mean, I guess if you want to include uh, a Naked Gun sequel in there, that's, I don't know if that's against the rules. You know, but mm-hmm. I guess like the the top three parody films from any three of these guys, I guess we could just sort of rank.
0: Sure. I mean, pretty easy for me. I mean, number one, top secret. Number two, Naked Gun. Number three, Airplane.
2: <laughs> and number one for me is Top Secret. Number two is Airplane. And number three is Naked
1: Gun. And for me, it's uh, Naked Gun. From the files of the police squad, number one, official title. Uh, number two, uh, <laughs> the airplane, and number three, top secret.
2: Well, that went well. <laughs> Great, <laughs> that was easy. On the uh,
0: on the topic of David Zucker, I just wanted to mention: Did anybody see that an American Carol movie he did a few years ago? No. no. Are you? Do you know what it is? Even like, isn't this like sort of like a uh, like a almost a. Conservative political comedy, something oh, like that. Oh
2: yeah, I think and I remember it had hearing like, about uh, this. Kevin
0: Farley in it, Kelsey Grammer. I like I never saw it, but I just remember it getting completely slammed by critics and stuff. And so, if that's still the kind of stuff he's into, then maybe whatever he's working on, I'm not so excited about. But
2: yeah, eh. Well, we can only hope for the best from this this guy, these guys. Maybe they'll put on a reunion tour
0: yeah they gotta all get back together not just zucker on his own yeah I, i concur
2: well guys thank you again so much for coming on the show this this was a blast and as you know i am chock full of gratitude for all that you guys do as creators of my favorite movie podcast so again it was it was an honor to talk with both of you about the art of comedy
0: Thanks for having us. I mean, uh, it was just a great excuse to rewatch some great movies that I haven't seen in a long time. So it was fun.
2: Yeah, I, it's it's nice to you know because a lot of the directors I do cover here, I guess you would call, are um, more along the serious side. So it's it's nice to binge on you know some some comedies for uh, for a change, and uh, you know it's nice to to get away from the land of new releases, especially with this dreadful summer that we've had. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Yeah, and thanks again, Jim, and I would say, uh, same with Sean, it was, I hadn't watched these movies in quite some time, and it was a perfect excuse to revisit them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So where can people find you both, Uh, I guess on Letterboxd and other wonderful places on the internet?
0: Well, filmjunk.com is the main place where you can find all our stuff. I'm uh, at filmjunk on Twitter. Am I... Film Junk on Letterboxd as well? I think so. Yeah. I think I am.
2: And Frank?
1: Frank. Uh, Twitter, Letterboxd are all Dirty Frank with three R's and Dirty, and that's pretty much it. Awesome. So
2: for the next episode, I'll be joined by the incredibly intelligent Sergio Mims, who is just like a walking Wikipedia of film knowledge and film history. And we'll be diving into the world of Nicholas Ray, um, who directed Rebel Without a Cause, Bigger Than Life, In a Lonely Place, and so many other great classics. So stay tuned for that towards the end of the month. Like I said, please visit directorsclubpodcast.com. Send me an email at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, for Frank and Sean of Film Junk, I am Jim Laskowski, and I bid you adieu.
0: I went to Paris and France, I found a little romance. She was walking down the boulevard. I know I should have been good, I never thought that I would. You're crossing me, cross my heart. Put a little rock in it, a little me thinking about a little Valentine. But to
2: Yeah, I think I was drinking Schlitz in Grand Rapids, Michigan at the time. (laughs) Nice. And uh, my kitty kept coming into the closet where I was recording.